I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon. Is, is on the phone. Wednesday. January 17th. How is it January 17th? Yeah. 2024, oh, people. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is having a great day. And I hate to brag. This might be the most loaded mid-January episode of the Air Tourist Pod that we have ever done. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open Jim Harbaugh. Some interesting new twists for Coach Harbaugh, including could he come back to Michigan? It could all come down to one very interesting thing. From there, we will talk a little bit. Arizona has a new football coach. Just briefly discuss that, what it means, and really why the hire isn't as important as what happens next. We'll also talk about Kalen DeBoer filling out his first Alabama staff and what it means for retaining his roster. Finally, we are gearing up college hoops full speed ahead. And I am here to tell you that I believe that right now there are three teams that are a cut above everybody else in the sport. We discuss who they are, and then we talk about some very, very, very interesting results. From the Tuesday night college hoop slate. As I said, show should never be this jam-packed in January. Yet here we are. So with that said, let's not waste any more time. And let's get to the topic of the day. Topic of the day, it was funny. Uh, Monday's episode, we did talk NFL. We talked Cowboys. We talked Belichick. We talked all sorts of good stuff. And I got a lot of responses. Torres, you need to talk more NFL. Well, guess what? We probably will because that's the big story in sports right now. But what is also a big story, especially for this audience, is what the heck is Jim Harbaugh going to do next? The man climbed the mountaintop at Michigan, and it feels as though, by all accounts, he is going to move on from Michigan to the NFL, and he still very much may. But we got a very interesting report on Tuesday morning that indicates that he might actually come back to Michigan under one very unique circumstance. Let's start with the NFL update, though. And the NFL update from Jim Harbaugh is that in the least surprising news ever, on Monday, he did interview with the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, what's funny about this, that isn't a rumor. That isn't speculation. It isn't, you know, uh, whispers from Adam Schefter. No, 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 no. In the NFL, I love this, by the way. NFL teams actually tweet out 
who they interview on any given day. So we found out on Monday that Bill Belichick interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. We found out on Monday that Jim Harbaugh interviewed with the Los Angeles Chargers. So while college football, we track planes and we try to figure out who's going where and under the coat of darkness, what does it all mean? In the NFL, it's just like, yeah, John Smith was in the building. Not really our guy, but we had him in here anyway. It is so funny how it works, but that did go down on Monday. Is worth noting, by the way, Chargers tweeted out another interview on Tuesday, so it doesn't feel like they are at the finish line. Um, but I kind of called around on, on the Harbaugh Charger stuff, and I don't think I really have any new or interesting information other than stuff that you already know. One, I do think that if Jim Harbaugh does leave for the NFL, I do still feel like the Chargers are the leader in the clubhouse. Now, that could change based on the jobs that could become available. Could the Dallas Cowboys fire Mike McCarthy? As I record, that has not happened. I think it should. Don't know if it will. Will the Philadelphia Eagles, after the debacle of Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, will they fire Nick Sirianni? As I record, that has not happened yet. Does not mean that it won't. But right now, this was the this is the job that if everything goes well for Harbaugh, this is the one that he wants. Uh, he has ties to the Los Angeles Chargers organization from the time that they were in San Diego. And obviously, look, the NFL is a quarterback-driven league, and Justin Herbert, I think we all think, is one of the best quarterbacks in that league. Now, we don't know because he's at Anthony Lynn and Brandon Staley as, as a head coach, but I bring it up because this is the one that Harbaugh has kind of had circled, and now we kind of wait to see what happens next. One, um, you know, one, there's the Harbaugh element of it, which we'll talk about in a minute. But even from the Chargers' perspective, it appears as though there's no stone left unturned. They're doing a bunch of interviews. I heard they did like four or five before Harbaugh. As I said, they tweeted out another interview on Tuesday. Let me see if I can find that really quick as to who they actually interviewed. Um, but they, they, you know, they're they're going through their due diligence, and they should. There's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with them trying to figure out who their next head coach is. Let's see who they tweeted out. They tweeted out that they have completed an interview with uh, Brian Callahan as the head coach. Brian Callahan, by the way, uh, let's see what you need to know about him. He is the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati. So what, what, what do you know about that? Another coordinator, whatever, blah, 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 blah. It is worth noting the Chargers are also looking for a GM. And so I think that's where the holdup is, is you want to hire the GM before you hire the head coach. And so you're trying to do that concurrently. Um, and I think for Harbaugh, all the questions that we've had about the Chargers are all of the ones that we're going to have going forward. One, are they going to pay him like he is an elite upper tier head coach? We know he has a contract on his desk for $11.5 million per year at Michigan to make him the highest paid coach in college football. So is are the Chargers going to pony up? This was a team that was paying Brandon Staley $4 million a year meaning that Jim Harbaugh, even if they double his salary, would still have to take a 33% pay cut. They need to go, They, you know, I would assume, and I'm not Don Yee, I'm not his agent, but my guess is I'm thinking you got to at least match the Michigan Wolverines, and that would mean tripling the salary that you just paid the last head coach. From there, listen, my understanding is Jim Harbaugh wants player personnel control. What does that mean? Does it mean that he helps handpick the GM? I don't know, but again, if he has no say in the players that he's going to coach, I, I don't know that that job is all that appealing to him. So the salary, what happens with player personnel? Does he get along with the GM? And then finally, I, I do think the ownership group is important, right? 
We know about the Spanos family. We know there's a bunch of family members in that front office. Some, you know, the whispers that I've heard over the last couple of weeks, some may be a little bit of a meddling crew, M-E-D-D-L-I-N-G, like they like to meddle. I think it's M-D-E-D-D, whatever. This ain't a spelling bee, okay? I'm like Cardale Jones. I didn't come here to school. I came here to talk college football, okay? So anyway, bottom line is I've heard the family can be a little bit difficult. Um, Is the salary going to be right? But listen, if it's all about football, all about personnel, the Chargers have the best personnel available. So we'll see what happens from there. We'll also see, again, what happens with other jobs that could open. And then the other one that's intriguing, what do the Raiders do? Do they keep Antonio Pierce? If they go away from Antonio Pierce, I think Mark Davis is going to take a big swing again. And I will say, Harbaugh's kind of got that Raiders feel, the swashbuckling, the pirates, the this, the that. What's interesting, though, beyond just the interview that he did on Monday, is that we got a very interesting report from Dan Wetzel on Tuesday that basically said the idea of him returning to Michigan is not completely off the table. And what is especially interesting is that Harbaugh, first of all, her Wetzel, as I just said, $11 million, $11.5 million five-year contract on his desk right now. Where the holdup is, is that Jim Harbaugh is seeking a clause in the contract in which he cannot be fired for NCAA rules violations. This is from a Dan Wetzel article on Yahoo!, Specifically, sources said Harbaugh is seeking language that would grant him immunity from termination from any finding or sanction that could arise from multiple current NCAA investigations into the program. All right. So let's break it down. Let's explain what's going on and let me explain what this all means. Okay. So it is pretty standard that in all of these coaches' contracts, they can all be terminated if there is some sort of NCA rules violation for cause for cause means that you do not have to pay them the full salary, the full buyout, whatever, if they get fired for NCA rules violations. Now this is important for one of two reasons. One, it's important. Even if you got it going good, if you owe a guy eight years, 80 million, and you're about to get the sledgehammer from the NCAA, you can get out of that contract pretty easily. But the other thing is this has been used to get bad coaches out of bad contracts that are disadvantageous to the school. I hate to say it. My alma mater, UConn, after Kevin Ollie won a national championship, about two years later, they're losing every game and the school's got to get out of it. And I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I know the administration there, but I also know what the NCAA violations were that were found on Kevin Ollie. They were pretty minor. But essentially, the school tried to say, hey, minor violations, you're in trouble, you got to go, you're fired without paying you. And then they went to law, they, you know, they, there was a lawsuit back and forth, blah, 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 whatever. The point I'm trying to make, this is a pretty standard clause in pretty much every coach's contract. I would assume everybody from like Kirby Smart on down has that, that clause in their contract. The problem is with Jim Harbaugh is that he is one of the rare guys that both we know the NCAA is coming after, but also sort of has leverage over his employer. So obviously, look, as far as the NCAA, as far as the NCAA is concerned, we know what's going on. We have the two separate investigations into Harbaugh and into Michigan football. That's probably the better way to put it. Not so much Harbaugh. We have the, the quote unquote cheeseburger gate. 
extra benefits for recruits. Harbaugh already has served a three-game self-imposed via, uh, 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 school suspension. Those were the three games to start the year. Why I bring that up, there is also the three-game, uh, there is also the Connor Stallions investigation. Connor Stallions, of course, the, the alleged um, videotaping, it's worth noting that was not a school-imposed three-game ban to end the regular season. That was actually um, that was actually imposed by the Big Ten, so the NCAA could add stuff on top of it. And so what Jim Harbaugh is basically saying is like, if I come back and the NCAA comes down on us, I don't want to sign a five-year contract, and in six months they give me a ten-game suspension, and you can fire me, and I have no contract. And so that's why it's interesting because this is a rare instance where. There are probably some sort of NCA punishment coming almost certainly. But also, he has the leverage to say, you ain't going to fire me. I ain't giving up coaching Justin Herbert or going to the NFL or going to the Cowboys or going to the Raiders or going to whoever. I ain't giving up all that to come back and then you fire me six months from now because the NCA is mad at me about some hamburgers. Or the NCA is mad about at me because one of my assistant you know, uh, uh, video guys went on the road and was taping stuff. And so it's a very interesting standoff, but what I also think to me it speaks to is I credit Jim Harbaugh. The man knows that he has leverage, okay? And 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 I am far from a negotiating expert, um, but I have at times had leverage in my favor in certain instances. And one thing about Harbaugh that has been very clear, he is very smart about keeping all his options open. We know that there has been an, a contract on his desk since like October or November. And he hasn't signed it because he wanted to see what was out there in the NFL. But he's also now keeping it open the opposite direction. If I don't leave for the NFL, I'm only coming back under these circumstances. And essentially, I want it to be basically a perfect setup where I have leverage, I have control, you can't fire me for this, you can't fire me for that, etc. And so you can agree or disagree, but, but, but I think it is a very smart negotiating ploy for Jim Harbaugh. If you're coming off even an eight and four year and the school wants to keep you, but they can't really keep you, then all of a sudden you sit there and say, you know, the school might not agree to it, but the school's kind of got their hands tied because the schools, they don't want to lose Jim Harbaugh. Now I think understandably they, they get that it is a possibility and it may happen, but they don't want to lose him. Frankly, what's kind of wild that nobody's talking about with, with Michigan is obviously it feels like at this point, Sharon Moore would have to be the replacement because two guys that felt like legitimate options, Kalen DeBoer and Jed Fish, have both taken other coaching jobs since the season ended. So Jim Harbaugh has all the leverage here, and I think it's just fascinating to think about. I think it's also fascinating to see what's next. Now, if I had to make two guesses as to what this story means, a couple things. One, I believe Michigan's going to put the clause in the contract because let's be blunt, one, I think it's obvious, even if Jim Harbaugh gets a suspension, even if there's scholarship reductions, whatever the punishment would be from the NCAA, Michigan is going to be better off in the long run the longer that Jim Harbaugh is there as opposed to him leaving in the NFL. And it's not to say Sharon Moore can't be great. It's just to say Michigan is in better shape if this guy ends up coming back. But then there's the flip side as well. I do still think Harbaugh is going to see all of his NFL options and the options are going to be plentiful. Whether it is the Chargers, whether it is the Raiders, 
whether it is a job that might not even be open yet. This man, by the way, the Washington Commanders, I still think like that's a rich ownership group that wants to make a splash. Just because Jim Harbaugh hasn't been linked there yet doesn't mean he won't be linked there eventually. So I just bring it up to say, if I had to make two guesses right now based on this piece of news, I think Michigan agrees to that clause, but I don't think it means he comes back. I still think he goes to the NFL. But what is clear, if you're a Michigan fan, if you're holding on, hoping that he comes back, this is about as much as you could ask for. He's using the moment in time to leverage what he wants, but I don't think he'd be going through this whole song and dance if he was 100% out. He's keeping his options open, and in my opinion, this is a good thing. I think it at least leaves the door open that he returns to Michigan if they agree to this clause. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break. When we come back, couple updates more in college football. We're going to talk Arizona getting their new head coach. Kalen DeBoer putting together a monster staff. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. And we will also wrap today, by the way, with a lot of college hoops. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and I kind of want to just go ahead and put a little bit of a put a little bit of a bow, say that 10 times fast, on two different stories that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. I don't think either of them is worth the 12 to 15 to 20 minute Torres extended breakdown, but over the last couple of days we did get closure on Arizona football who is going to be their next head coach. And also, Kalen DeBoer, oh my goodness, everybody was freaking out. Who is he going to be able to hire as a staff? Well, we got some answers, and I think he has put together as good of a staff as you could have asked for if you were an Alabama football fan. Let's start with Arizona. Obviously, on Monday's show, we talked a lot about the departure of Jed Fish as Arizona's coach. And listen, 
at this point, we don't need to relitigate it. Um, I was surprised you have a chance to win the Big 12, make the college football playoff. But at the end of the day, it's his prerogative. It's his life. He is obviously getting a substantial pay increase. And so if he wants to move on to a, a different place, then that's certainly his prerogative. I think he could have handled it a little bit better. I'm told the the meeting with the team was like less than five minutes, basically very little emotion, whatever. Bottom line, his life, his prerogative, whatever. So with that, over really the last 36 hours or so, we've tried to get some resolution as to who is going to be the next head coach. And from my understanding, there was really kind of two pseudo factions that emerged. The players wanted somebody, and by the way, again, remember this is a team that won 10 games. So I'm not saying you always have to listen to players, but I do think it is it worth at least gauging their thoughts. They were really pushing for someone with ties to the coaching staff that just left. Um, most notably, Johnny Nansen, who was uh, on the previous coaching staff, had just left for Texas uh, as an assistant coach. And also the other faction, which was kind of the boosters and the people that are going to actually have to write the checks, uh, Brent Brennan, the head coach at San Jose State, was the guy of their choice. Well, I bring it up because on Tuesday afternoon, we got our resolution and Brent Brennan is, in fact, your next Arizona head coach. And I'll be blunt. I don't know yet. I'm recording here about 6.30, 7 o'clock Eastern time on Tuesday into Wednesday think there are still some things that have to be decided before I can say definitively whether I love the hire or not. And today, listen, I do like the hire for a couple of reasons. One, he has ties to Arizona. He was a GA there. He worked under Dick Tomey, obviously the legendary head coach of Arizona in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s. And the one thing I will say about him, like the dream, the, the term dream job gets overused all the time. And I'm not going to sit here and say this is this guy's dream job. But I do think Tucson is a place that he loves, that his family loves. I don't think it's going to be an immediate stepping stone of have a good year and get the heck out. I think he wants to kind of plant roots down there. And, and I think there is something to that, especially given the circumstances under which Jed Fish left. Beyond that, you know, give him credit where it's due. Three bowl games in the last four years at San Jose State is an incredible run. Like, like I know we 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 dismiss the value of going to a bowl game in this era of college football. But for a school like San Jose State, it is not easy. It is a place that just, listen, I, I think you could argue at the FBS level, San Jose State probably has as few and as little resources as just about anybody in the sport. I mean, think about the Mountain West. You have a school like UNLV that plays in an NFL stadium, Allegiant Stadium. New Mexico State School, you know, not amazingly supported, but I think pretty well. San, o San Diego State goes without saying. Boise State goes without saying. San Jose State is a tough, tough, tough place to win. And he's won seven plus games in three of the last four years, including during the COVID year where they went seven and one and won the Mountain West. So I give him credit. Um, but really to me, why I can't get too excited about this hire, I do think the whole hire ultimately comes down to, can you retain the guys in that locker room? And we talked about it a little bit on Monday. I'll try to be quick on this. But at the end of the day, I do think that at times you can't overvalue the player's opinions. It can't be a one-year decision as far as do we bring in a guy, retain the roster, or do we get the best candidate? But I do think Arizona is a little bit of an exception because this isn't, and no disrespect intended, but a coaching change at Alabama, at LSU, at Michigan, 
whatever. This is going into 2024. You could argue one of the best teams on paper in Arizona football history. And so to me, this whole hire ultimately comes down to, do you retain the guys in that locker room? Because if they all hit the portal, if they all leave, if they're all not coming back, then I don't really care about this hire because you didn't do the job, which was to keep the guys in that locker room. If you can keep them, what is important is pretty straightforward. If you can keep the guys in that locker room, you have a chance to win the Big 12 next year. More importantly, and I think this is important, okay? Um, a lot of the guys on that roster are very young. Noah Fafita, who won seven straight games as the starting quarterback this year, is a redshirt freshman. He's about five foot ten. He isn't an NFL prospect, at least not right now. 26 touchdown passes, five interceptions, um, 74% completion percentage. He's not an NFL draft prospect, but he's a really good college player. And why I care about him is because of the fact that ultimately, if you can keep him in that program, you're talking about a potential two, three-year run here with that kid. Now, the star wide receiver, Tatoria McMillan, uh, Tetaroa McMillan, I always trip up his name, is Tetaroa McMillan, T-Mac. That kid's a stud. Now, he will probably go to the NFL after next year. He had 90 catches as a true sophomore this year. And so you don't want to lose him. But but like the point I'm trying to make, will basically Brent Brennan keep that locker room together? Because if you keep the locker room together, you can be special. If you can't keep the locker room together, then guess what? This was a program that two seasons ago was 1-11, and that's probably where you're going back to next year. And you're going to have to build back up and hope that in two or three years you can be where you are right now. So the question now becomes, what staff does he put together? Does he put together a staff with ties to the previous staff? There's a guy by the name of Kevin Cummings, who was the wide receivers coach on the previous staff. There's talk about him being the offensive coordinator. Uh, Johnny Nansen, there's talk about him being the defensive coordinator at Arizona. We will see. I don't want to speculate. By the time you guys and girls listen to this, maybe those decisions will be made. But this whole hire will be judged based on whether you can keep that locker room together. Sometimes I think it's overrated. But I think if you can keep that locker room together, you compete for a, a Big 12 title next year, and you could potentially go on a run of two to three years with this core. If you can't keep the locker room together, it doesn't really matter. You know, so, so that is why I can't get too excited about the hire. Uh, and I think it's really a wait-and-see approach. Quickly, I do think it is worth uh, discussing some of the uh, actions, if you will. I, I, I think it's worth discussing and switching gears and really hitting on what has happened at Alabama since the last time we talked about Alabama on Monday. Because obviously on Monday, the hire was fresh. Kalen DeBoer's first press conference was fresh. But the bottom line, the question that everybody wanted to know, what kind of coaching staff was Kalen DeBoer going to put together? And then more importantly, what kind of impact would that have on the current roster? There were a lot of players, including quite possibly their best defensive player, player Caleb Downs, who basically the reports were he wanted to see what the staff was before he made a final decision. Well, as I record here, Caleb Downs has not publicly made a decision. But what I am also here to say is this. If you are grading Kalen DeBoer on the coaching staff that he put together, because that was the big question, right? He's not from the SEC. We don't know anything about him. What kind of staff is he going to be able to put together? I would argue that he has done as good of a job as you possibly could putting together a coaching staff. And listen, 
I'm far from the perfect expert on this. I think you can argue based on the combination of experience, success, uh, whatever. I think you can argue this might be the best coaching staff in college football based on what we know right now. All right, so first of all, what has Kalen DeBoer done since the last time we spoke? First off, the offensive staff is largely coming from Washington, okay? Now, that has its positives and negatives. Not a lot of ties to the South. I get all that. SEC country, you need to be able to recruit. I understand. I understand. Same time. Did you watch Washington this year? Did you watch Washington last year? Because that is one of the most explosive offenses in all of college football. This past year, they were top 15 nationally in total offense. Last year, they were top five. A year ago, they were the number one passing offense in college football. This year, they were number two. And I know Jalen Milrow is a different quarterback than Michael Penix, but here's what I would also say about Michael Penix. Michael Penix was about a 53, 54% completion percentage guy his last year at Indiana. Comes to Washington and puts together the most explosive offense in the sport. Is the quarterback for the most explosive offense in this sport. So I'm not saying that Kalen DeBoer and his staff are going to turn Jalen Milrow into Michael Penix 2.0. One, I don't even know if you want him to because Jalen Milrow has unique skills, especially with his legs, that even Michael Penix doesn't have. But at the same time, you wanted to keep that staff in place, and because Washington hired Jet Fish, that staff comes in place. Ryan Grubb, the guy, by the way, that Alabama tried to hire a year ago as its offensive coordinator. Well, guess what? He's coming to Tuscaloosa. It's just to be the offensive coordinator under Kalen DeBoer. And so this is exciting news for Alabama. That offense, I think, is going to be so dynamic, so explosive. And what I've said all along, what I give credit to Kalen DeBoer for, he is great at taking what his players do well and emphasizing and highlighting that. It isn't about we run this system, we pass the ball 60 times a game, we run the ball 60 times a game. No, what he does is he puts together an offense that it, it, it highlights what his players do best. And so I'm not going to sit here and say what this offense is going to look like, but what I will say, whether it is Jalen Milrow, whether it is Justice Haynes, the, the star running back, whether it is some wide receivers that we might not even know about yet, either on this roster or, com or, or coming over in the portal, this offense is going to be really good because it's going to have one of the best staffs in the country. More importantly, though, the big questions were, what was he going to do defensively? Well, we got our answer on late Monday night as we found out that Kane Womack, who is the was the sitting head coach at South Alabama, FBS school coming off back-to-back -back bowl appearances, he decided rather than being a head coach, he was going to take a demotion and come be Kalen DeBoer's defensive coordinator. And when I tell you I think this is a mega win, I think this is a mega win. Now, first of all, we, we should acknowledge Kalen DeBoer did try to get uh, uh, T-Rob, uh, Tavares, Ro Tavares Robinson. I'm always tripping over names here. Forgive me. Been a long week, whatever. T-Rob was on Alabama's staff under Nick Saban. When Nick Saban retired, he took a job with Georgia. Kalen DeBoer did try to get him to come back to Alabama, and this guy declined. His choice, his prerogative, he's getting a, 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 a title bump at Georgia. I'm sure he's getting a nice little salary bump as well. Obviously, he goes to Georgia. Will Muschamp is now going into an off-the-field role. But I just bring it up to say, listen, I know Alabama fans wanted this guy to come back. It didn't work out, and it's obviously crushing because now your biggest rival or one of your biggest rivals, Kirby Smart, now has him under contract.
At the same time, though, going out and getting a sitting head coach is pretty impressive, especially, by the way, a sitting head coach who is widely regarded as one of the best defensive minds in all of college football. This was a guy that a couple years ago, him and DeBoer worked together at Indiana. That year, Kane Womack won, uh, ended up being a finalist for the Broyles Award as one of the top defense or one of the top assistant coaches in college football. His defense was a turnover forcing machine. Uh, those years when Indiana was actually relevant in football, Kalen DeBoer was the offensive coordinator, and then he leaves. Kane Womack was the defensive coordinator. And so that is impressive in its own right. But more importantly, to get a guy that was a sitting head coach to leave is unbelievable, and it speaks to the power of Alabama football. Credit to Alabama. Because what 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 Kalen DeBoer what Kalen DeBoer basically said, I'm so excited, I can't even get out my full sentences here. But what Kalen DeBoer basically said was, look, my guy, you could be a head coach here, win eight, nine games. By the way, no disrespect to the Jags. Love my South Alabama Jags. Shout out Jags, okay? Same time, what he said was like, look, come here, be my defensive coordinator for two or three years. Let's ball out. You're going to have insane talent. And guess what? Here's the good news. Is that if you do what I think you're capable of, you're going to get a better head coaching job than South Alabama. I guarantee that's what the conversation was. The next time kind of one of those second tier SEC jobs opens up. The next time a good ACC job opens up, they're going to be like, okay, who who can we get off that Alabama coaching tree? Because we're not going to miss a beat. So an elite defensive mind, and he is going to have access to the best talent that he has ever had. I'm here to tell you, man, I think that defense is not going to miss a beat. It is also worth noting, by the way, right before I got set to record, Maurice Linquist, uh, who was the head coach at Buffalo, it was announced that he is actually leaving the head coach coaching job at Buffalo to become, uh, I believe, the defensive backs coach. Uh, at Alabama. And when you talk about again, how about that for Kalen DeBoer? Okay, so so remember, uh, three, four days ago, it was, what kind of staff can Kalen DeBoer put together? Well, I don't know. A pretty good one. How about the fact that he convinced two sitting head coaches? Again, Maurice Linquist was the head coach at Buffalo, and he convinced him to leave that job to become an assistant at Alabama. This report was according to ESPN's Chris Lowe and Adam Rittenberg. Uh, it looks as though Linguist will be with the secondary uh, working there. The other thing about this guy, this guy is a stud recruiter, okay? Interesting backstory on him. He was really kind of the guy that began to spearhead recruiting at Michigan when they kind of went through those changes after the 2020 season. They got a lot of guys locked in, a lot of guys committed, and then he ends up getting this head coaching job. Now, credit to that entire staff because they they obviously have done it without him. But he's believed to be an elite recruiter, an elite um, you know uh, talent developer, etc. And he was a sitting head coach who is now coming to Alabama. So how about this? Again, to recap, Alabama's coaching staff. Everyone's trying to figure out, okay, Torres, what does it all mean? They got Alabama in the last 24 hours, a sitting head coach, who had a top 15 defense these past two years at South Alabama, back-to-back bowl games, including a 10-win season last year, to leave a head coaching position to come to Alabama. Then they got another sitting head coach to leave a sitting head coaching job. That's what a sitting head coach does. He sits and he's the head coach. Got him to leave 
to come be a position coach. And my guess is he'd probably get elevated to defense, defensive coordinator, whatever. Who's also an elite recruiter, who's also well-respected across college football. Kalen DeBoer has done as good as you could have asked for. Now, finally, why I think it's important, it will be interesting to see how this impacts any players that could leave Alabama. The most important report that we have seen is that Caleb Downs, who is basically was Alabama's best player, defensive player as a true freshman last year, had 104 tackles as a true freshman. He was a top five uh, player in the class of 2023, 104, 107 tackles, excuse me, 40 more than any player on the team, two interceptions, a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. The report on Monday afternoon was that he wanted to see what was going on with the Alabama coaching staff before he made any final decisions. Obviously, with T-Rob going to Georgia, they would be a factor. Uh, I've heard some Ohio State buzz. He almost chose Ohio State out of high school. So as I record, this is always subject to change. We do not know, but I'll tell you this. DeBoer has done about as well as you could ask for with his coaching staff, and I believe they are in prime position going forward. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, do want to talk some college hoops, including we're going to talk a little bit about Tuesday night, but also I believe that as of right now, three schools, count them three, have separated themselves at the top of college basketball. Who are they? We'll discuss them next. Quick break. Be right back. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do you want to go ahead and wrap with a little bit of college hoops? And so here's the deal. We, we obviously have not talked a ton of college hoops on this show. Uh, and that's really just because there's been so much football stuff going on. I mean, when the GOAT Nick Saban retires, I'm sorry, we got other stuff to talk about, okay? But just because we haven't been talking about it doesn't mean that your boy Torres hasn't been keeping a keen eye on all things college hoops. And so what I want to do now is a lot of you have been asking me, especially coming off last week, where eight of the top 10 teams lost. As a matter of fact, not only did eight of the top 10 teams lose, eight of the top 10 lost to unranked opponents. Purdue at Nebraska, uh, Kansas at, uh, at, at Central Florida, Kentucky at Texas A&M. And I've had a lot of you ask me, like, Torrance, who do you actually think is good this year? And so we're approaching the midway point of the season. And by the way, we're going to get to some of the Tuesday results to wrap the show. But as we approach the midway point, the midway point between the first game of the season and the last game of the year in Arizona in the national championship game, this feels like a good time to just do stock of where we are in college hoops. And so what I what I truly believe is right now, as of this second, there are three teams, in my opinion, that are a cut above everybody else in the sport. And by the way, does it mean that these that that only these three teams can win a national championship doesn't mean that there aren't other good teams doesn't mean that these three can't kind of fall down a rung or two as the season wears on but right now i truly believe there are three teams that are not only better than everybody else but playing better than everybody else and i want to talk about those three teams and at the end we'll talk a little bit about why i'm a little bit more down on some others but the three teams i like number 1 team in the country yukon probably not a surprise I actually really think Carolina is a very good team this year. And I know they're coming off a loss, and I know I'm going to get criticized for saying it. But I believe Kentucky, which is getting ready to play Mississippi State on Wednesday night, I believe they're elite even with the loss at Texas A&M. Those three teams, to me, are as good and better than everybody else in college basketball. Let's talk about each team really quick. And again, we'll wrap talking about some of the other teams in, in college basketball that maybe aren't quite as good or they're ranked high, but why I'm not as high on them? First one, UConn needs no explanation. UConn's number one in the country, and this is kind of a crazy stat. So UConn this week hit number one in the AP poll for the first time since, are you ready for this? 2009. 2009. Here's why that's crazy, though. It's not just because it's been 15 years since UConn got to number one. It's It's the fact that since they last hit number one in the AP poll, there have been Three different seasons that UConn ended the year winning a national championship. So how about that? Three years where they did not 
finished. Uh, they did not get ranked number one in the AP poll. They ended up winning a national championship anyway. 2011 with Kemba Walker, 2014 with Shabazz Napier. And then last year, they were never ranked number one during the season. For you smart Alex in the comments that think you know everything, there is no AP poll once the tournament starts. So UConn gets to number one in the polls this week. What's crazy about UConn though, as good as they are, they're sitting at 14 and two. They play Creighton on Wednesday night. I don't think they've played their best basketball yet. That is the wild part to me about UConn right now this second. I don't think they've played their best basketball. And it's because frankly, they haven't had their full complement of guys basically all season long. For people who don't follow UConn on a day-to-day basis, Donovan Klingon, preseason projected lottery pick in the offseason, late in the offseason, I want to say like mid to late October, mid to late September, whatever it was, goes down with a foot injury. He basically has no preseason. Comes back right around the start of the year. Obviously, they ramped him up behind the scenes. Coach Hurley's never going to put him out there if it's not 100% safe to do so. But he comes back. He's starting to get his feet. He's starting to get his legs. And then all of a sudden, Stephon Castle, a guard who is also projected as a lottery pick, freshman from Georgia, then he goes down with a minor knee injury, needs surgery. He's out about two, three weeks. Then when he comes back, Donovan Klingon goes out again. So Klingon should be back here over the next couple weeks. But what stands out to me is, one, the fact that UConn has been able to withstand all of this. Great out-of-conference resume. Uh, Win against Carolina out of neutral. Win against Gonzaga in the state of Washington. Beat Texas, beat Indiana, etc. But beyond that, they're 14-2, and and other guys have stepped up. Alex Caravan started off last year's national championship team. I think he's really starting to hit his stride. 26 points against Georgetown the other night at home the last game before they got ranked number one. Cam Spencer has been a stud transfer from Rutgers. Tristan Newton's been kind of up and down. You know, I saw him at Fog Allen Fieldhouse drop like 30-plus points in that game. And so I only bring it up because now with Donovan Klingy coming back, you hope that this team will actually uh, be able to stay healthy and stay together. And if they do, they could be even better than they are right now, which is number one in the country. Uh, Now, a couple things. One, Still haven't played their toughest games in the Big East. They haven't played Villanova at all. They haven't played Marquette at all. They play Creighton on uh, whatever it would be. They play Creighton on Wednesday night. They still have to go to St. John's, which, you know, Rick Pitino is going to uh, make this a rivalry or die trying with Dan Hurley. Um, but I, I still think they have another level to get to with Donovan Klingon, especially defensively. I won't bore you with too many stats and analytics. But there are some pretty obvious advanced metrics that basically say they are a completely different team defensively with Donovan Klingon without him. I'm excited to see where UConn can get. As we approach the midway point, uh, they're the best team in the country right now. They deserve that number one ranking. Not saying they're never going to lose again because the Big East is tough, but they deserve that honor. Let's keep it going. Um, The other team that I'm impressed by, hate to brag, kind of told you in the preseason they were going to be good. That's the North Carolina Tar Heels. And so North Carolina... I loved him in the preseason, picked him to go to the final four. And everyone, oh, Torres, you picked him last year. You had him overrated last year. Yeah, they were overrated last year. But I said in the preseason, I said, look, and I've said it a few times since then. I said, I believe that the subtraction of Caleb Love, and Caleb Love is great at Arizona, so this isn't a criticism of Caleb Love. But I said, I think this is going to work. R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott are both stars that could have gone elsewhere. They decided to stay and now you kind of build around those guys, and that's exactly what they did in the portal. 
Listen, they didn't bring in the most high-profile guys in the portal, but they didn't need to. They had two guys in Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis who were combining to average about 35 points per game. So you didn't need to bring in a guy that's going to shoot 18 or 20 times like Caleb Love did last year. What you needed was guys that were going to space the floor, hit open threes, ball movement, whatever. And that's exactly what we're seeing from Carolina this year. To me, the most impressive thing about Carolina, still elite offensively. That's always been their MO dating back to the Roy Williams days, about 84 points per game. But here's the crazy part. Defensively, they are, uh, you know, really pretty elite, all things considered. This is a team that, um, you know, ranks in the top 25 nationally in field goal percentage defense. They are really getting after it defensively. Uh, They're not turning the ball over very much, which is incredible considering at the pace that they play. They're shooting about 35% from three. And again, a lot of three-point shooting, a lot of talent around those those two veterans. Elliot Cadeau, a reclassified freshman, is playing uh, a very important role for them as a facilitator and a guy that gets things going. But again, it's the defense. Just look at the last four or five games, right? So they play tonight. Uh, North Carolina plays Louisville. Don't think they're in, in, in too much trouble of getting upset. But look at their last couple games. Gave up 67 points to Syracuse, and that was just a blowout that wasn't even close. 54 points allowed on the road at NC State. 55 allowed at Clemson and 57 allowed at Pitt. It's the defense which makes Carolina different this year. I think they're as good as anybody. They're trending towards the number one seed. They're trending as the favorites in the ACC. I think there's a lot of wins left to be had. As a matter of fact, as good as I think UConn is, as good as I think Kentucky is, I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina, maybe Purdue's in this mix as well, finishes with the most wins in the regular season, just because I do think there are some teams at the bottom that they'll take advantage of, of the ACC. I don't think those conferences are as deep as the Big East, the Big 12, SEC, et cetera. Really quickly, the third team that I think right now is as good as anybody, and they are coming off a loss. And when I say their name, I'm going to have you, oh, Torres, you never stop kissing Calipari's butt. Well, I disagree. It is the Kentucky Wildcats. Listen, first of all, uh, anyone who says that I, I never criticize Calipari, you clearly don't listen to this show. Because go back to the summer when I was critical of his portal approach. Now, as it turns out, he wasn't aggressive in the portal because his freshman class was so freaking good. But two, on top of it, um, you know, I, go back to last season. Was critical during the regular season. I crushed him after that. Remember that UCLA game? Madison Square Garden, they scored like 51 points. They shot like 13% for the field, something crazy like that. It was like literally the worst offensive performance in school history. So I just bring it up. I've been critical of Cal, but I like this team. I know they're coming off a loss at Texas A&M, but guess what? Everybody's losing on the road. By the way, that's what makes Carolina and UConn so impressive. They've gone 5 and 0 in well, 5 and 1. UConn did lose at Seton Hall, but 5 and 1 in league play on the road. And so when I look at this team, I sit there and say, listen, I don't care that they lost to Texas A&M. Texas A&M was a preseason top 15 team. Wade Taylor was going to get going eventually. He's a really good player. But what I like about Kentucky is a few things. One, the offensive firepower is insane. This is a team that's averaging almost 90 points per game. We're at whatever. We're at the halfway point. They're averaging 90 points per game. And that's what I really love about it, is they have so many different guys that can beat you. Reed Shepard, Antonio Reeves, DJ Wagner, Rob Dilling. I mean, they have about five guys that on the right night can get you 20 points. I don't think any team in America, maybe Arizona, maybe UConn, 
I don't think anybody else has four or five guys that can get you 20 points per game on any given night. UConn can, or Kentucky can. Two, I know everybody's worried about the defense, but but my whole thing with this is the bottom line is with Kentucky, there's a few things. One, they're still down a big man, and I'm still trying to dig into what's going on with Big Z's, Vonavir, Avisic. I'm still trying to figure out why he is not eligible, what is going on, what is the secret, why is the NCAA not making him eligible? But you have an NBA-level talent still sitting on your bench, and he's a guy that I do think, now that we're in SEC play, you need. We saw against Texas A&M, Aaron Bradshaw goes down. you got to play Ogana and Yenso like 28, 30 minutes. You never want to do that, no disrespect to the kid. So I just bring it up because, to me, they will get better defensively just as their big guys get healthy. But the other thing is, you can teach defense. And the thing that I keep going back to with Kentucky, and I did a, a radio interview with my buddy Dave Shoemate on his podcast. So I guess it was a podcast interview, not a, a radio interview. But I, didn't, I, I spoke with him, and I said, look, we overanalyze the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament is about guard play. And in my opinion, the NCAA tournament about is about can you put the ball in the basket? Because there are certain teams, we see them every year. They play these close, low-scoring games. They beat you up defensively, but they don't have enough offensive firepower. Virginia through the years, the one year Virginia won the national championship, it was because they had guys that could put the ball in the basket. And so with Kentucky, your every team in the NCAA tournament, if you make a deep run, you're going to get into a game where the other team is red hot and you got to keep up. And you're going to have to score 85, 88, 90, 91, 95 points if you go to overtime. And not every team in college basketball is capable of doing that. We're going to talk about a few of them in a moment, but but look at some of these teams. I don't think if Kansas gets in a game where the other team just can't miss, Kansas doesn't have the dudes to, to score 95 points in a game. They just don't. That's okay. That's not a criticism. It's just a reality. There's other teams exactly like that. And so when I look at Kentucky, they'll get the defense figured out. But if you can't score the basketball at this point in the year, you can't. That's not something you can teach overnight. Again, it goes back to something Dan Hurley, uh, the UConn head coach, said. He said for years, my focus was on on recruiting defense, hustle, rebounding, energy. He goes. Then I realized I need to focus as much on offense as I do all those other things. I can teach kids how to defend. I can teach kids how to play hard. If you can't put the ball in the basket. I can't teach you to be a 38% three-point shooter if you're an 18% three-point shooter. And so I look at Kentucky. They got guys that can put the ball in the basket. And the other thing with Kentucky, there is another gear for this team to get to. It's obviously with Justin Edwards. Kentucky right now has a kid that is barely, I don't want to say barely playing, but he's not playing crunch time minutes. And some people projected him as the number one pick in the draft in the preseason. And he hasn't even come close to reaching his potential yet. So if they get that guy going on top of they're averaging 90 points a game, they have five guys scoring double figures when a guy who was projected as the number one pick in the draft is not getting meaningful minutes. And so I really like Kentucky. I believe them, Carolina and UConn are the top three teams in the sport. As far as everybody else, listen, I think, you know, again, the right circumstances teams can win, but I do worry about everybody else. You know, Purdue, I know I'm going to have Purdue fans up my behind. But the bottom line with Purdue fans is I keep going back to Zach Eady. If he's in foul trouble, do you have the guys that can consistently put the ball in the basket? As a matter of fact, and I think most Purdue fans would even agree with this, the most important player on that team isn't Zach Eady. You know he's probably going to get his 25 and 15 on a bad night, 35 and 20 on a good night. 
But you know who's the most important player on that team? I've texted about three or four coaches. When when that whole brouhaha with Purdue happened, I texted a bunch of uh, power conference coaches, coaches that have faced this guy. And I said, what's the secret? They said, the secret isn't really Zach Eady. The secret is Braden Smith, their guard, who gets really hot in some games, not so hot in others. Last two games coming into Tuesday night, they played Indiana, obviously, on Tuesday night. We'll discuss that game momentarily. Last two games for Braden Smith coming into that game. Guess what? Four of 12, one of three from three against Illinois. That was a very narrow win. Nebraska, three of eight from the field. And so I just bring it up because when that kid struggles, Purdue tends to do the same. Purdue really has about three guys that on any given night can get going besides Edie, but none of them are consistent. Fletcher Lawyer, Mason Gillis, who was really good against Nebraska. So we'll see what happens. But right now, Purdue... I don't care if they're number two in the country. They're a tier below. Same with Kansas. We've talked about them enough. They need they need other guys to step up. They need more depth. Bill Self is so good. I'm sure he'll figure it out. But it can't just be relying on McCuller and Dickinson and KJ Adams every night. They need guys off the bench. They need scoring off the bench. It needs to be Furphy. It needs to be Nick Timberlake. It needs to be some of these other guys. El Marco Jackson. I trust Bill Self, but they're not there yet. Arizona. Listen, I still think Arizona has as much upside as anybody in this sport. But bottom line is, of their last five games away from home, they're one in four overall. Lost to Purdue on a neutral, lost to Florida Atlantic on a neutral, beat a bad Cal team at Cal, lost at Stanford, lost at Washington State. That ain't going to get it done. They need to get right there. Um, and then you look at everybody else. Duke, I think, is getting there. Uh, I actually think Duke is really kind of turning up, to be honest, but I don't think they're quite there yet. Some injuries, Mark Mitchell's out. When is he coming back? All that good stuff. And yeah, I think there's a few others, but as I said, to me, those are the top three. Kentucky, well, UConn, Carolina, and Kentucky in some order, they are to me a cut above everybody else in college. All right, really quickly before we get out of here, do want to hit on a few of the results from Tuesday night in college hoops. Listen, I don't think there's any game that warrants the Torres 11-minute reaction to Tennessee, Florida, or Purdue, Indiana, or Seton Hall, St. John's, whatever. But let's just kind of get to some quick news and notes from Tuesday night in college hoops. I think the more the most interesting result happened in Knoxville, Tennessee. By the way, for anybody in that southeast portion of the country that's dealing with bad weather, the ice, the sleet, the snow, the whatever, shout out to producer Matt, who is down in Nashville. Nashville's under snow right now. It's insane. Um, but but <laughs> I bring it all up to very simply say that the Tennessee-Florida game was played on Tuesday night. And oh, by the way, it was moved up to 5 p.m. Eastern time. Did not affect Dalton Connect at all. So I'm going to do the old cliche sports announcer, like cliche joke. But like it may have been ice cold outside Thompson Bowling Arena on Tuesday night in Knoxville, Tennessee. But Dalton Connect was red hot. So did you see this? 39 points for Dalton Connect, the senior transfer from Northern Colorado. And so this was a kid we talked about a lot in the spring, okay? He averaged over 20 points a game at Northern Colorado. And all you had to do was flip on his tape, and you could see really quick, listen, I don't care if it's the high school level, the low major level, the mid-major level, the high major level, this is a kid that can put the ball in the basket. And he was a kid, listen, I think if he had declared for the NBA draft, he probably would have been drafted, decided to go to Tennessee. And in the preseason, we just talked a minute ago about how I feel like North Carolina, in my opinion, they were a preseason team, a team that I picked in the preseason to go to the final four. I also picked Tennessee. Now, I'm not going to sit here and take a lap yet 
it's early. But why I like Tennessee, they've always been great defensively, but I said this kid is going to take this team to another level. Well, why do I bring it up? 39 points against Florida on Tuesday night. This after scoring 35 on Saturday against Georgia. I believe he is the first player since Jody Meeks. Remember him? Kentucky fans, I know you do. 2009, the year before John Calipari got to Kentucky, to score 70 points over two games in SEC play. That's an average, I'm not great at math, of 35 points per game, but it speaks to how special this kid is. So Tennessee gets the win. I think they're a really good team. Listen, I, I just said a minute ago, I think Kentucky's the best team in the SEC, but Tennessee isn't far behind. Auburn isn't far behind. And it's worth noting, by the way, you know who else improved to 4-0 in SEC play on Saturday uh, or on Tuesday after uh, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening? The Alabama Crimson Tide. They beat Missouri in Coleman Coliseum. Listen, this game was not as one-sided as you would have thought. The final score was 93-75. to But at the same time, this was a game that was close probably till about six, seven minutes to go before Alabama pulled away. Listen, the big one in this game, by the way, I should mention why I'm doing this after the Tennessee game. Alabama does go to Knoxville on Saturday. So you talk about a big game with real stakes, Tennessee 3-1 and one in SEC play, Alabama 4-0. But why this game was interesting, did you see the video? Did you see in this game? Nate Oates, there was a situation on the bench. There was a situation with a Missouri player in which there was kind of a scuffle and Nate Oates shoved, you know, he shoved a Missouri player. Uh, out of the, the the Alabama huddle, the refs were right there. A technical was not called. Now, listen, I'm not going to do the thing. I'm not going to do the sports media thing where I completely overreact to it. We all know, bottom line, that a coach should never put his hands on another team's player. Like, that's literally what got Woody Hayes fired a million years ago. But at the same time, it was a scuffle. Um, I think Oates was trying to break it up. I'm not making excuses for his behavior. But I also think, like, if it was something that egregious, the ref should have stepped in. But Alabama gets the win. They improve to 4-0. And they are, as I record, one of two undefeated teams in the SEC. Auburn is the other. Auburn plays on Wednesday night at Vanderbilt if the game can be played. So I think we could have a situation where both Auburn and Alabama are 4-0 in SEC play following Wednesday night. But the big one on Saturday, Tennessee hosting Alabama. That's going to be a good one. A couple other results from Tuesday night. Uh, in the Big East, this was one that I was really looking forward to that, unfortunately, the old COVID monster got a hold of. Seton Hall, 5-1. and one. They were tied atop the Big East standings with UConn. We just talked about UConn a minute ago. They were hosting St. John's. Of course, St. John's coming off the loss at Creighton, where Rick Pitino was asked if there was any moral victory to take out of it. And he said, we don't believe in moral victories here. He said, every time I lose, and this is an exact quote, this isn't hyperbole. Not trying to be disrespectful. No, we live in a serious mental health era. Rick Potato literally said, I want to kill myself every time we lose a game. So that was the stake. <laughs> that was the stakes at St. John's losing to Creighton on Tuesday night. They go to C and or on Saturday night, they go to C and Hall. They lose 80 to 65. But the only story here is Patino was not available because unfortunately, um, he came down with COVID. And so because of it, uh, Patino was not available because of it. Seton Hall wins. Listen, I'll say this really quickly for Seton Hall. Um, 
I think they're a really good team. They're five and one tied atop. The, well, they're, they're, they're half a game technically atop the uh, Big East standings because of the fact that, um, you know, that UConn will play tonight on Wednesday. And so I only bring it up to just very simply say that, um, you know, they're a good team. They play real, real, real defense. They're a phenomenal defensive team. Three really good guards. Dylan Adeyawusu, who, of course, transferred from St. John's. Kadari Richmond, uh, who's been there a few years. And also uh, Dawes, Alamir Dawes, who transferred a year ago from Clemson. So basically, by the way, three guards all have transferred at different points in their careers. But Seton Hall gets the win. They are quietly five and six and one, excuse me, atop the Big East standings. If UConn wins tonight, they are tied. Only other results from Tuesday night as we record here. Um, let's see, what else happened on Tuesday night? One, um, Purdue. We just talked about them in kind of that upper, upper, upper tier conversation. I do think there is a tier that uh, is UConn, Kentucky, and North Carolina. But Purdue, man, they put their best foot forward on Tuesday night. They beat Indiana 87-66. to Nothing else to say. Listen, Zach Eady, he was awesome. He was locked in. I've never questioned how talented he is. Finishes with 33 points and 14 rebounds in this game. I, I think the big thing is what we just talked about a minute ago. Fletcher Lawyer, their guard was really good. 17, 19 points, excuse me, four of four from three. Uh, Lance Jones, their transfer from the Missouri Valley, uh, finishes with 17. But the question becomes, Braden Smith, 2 of 14 from the field. Uh, struggles, he did finish with nine assists, though. So listen, I don't want to overreact. It's a great win over a rival on the road. I can't criticize teams for losing on the road and then blame Missouri or blame Purdue, excuse me. But listen, you know, we'll see what happens with them. But a great win for them, a dominant win for, for, for them. Really quickly, Georgia picks up a win on the road. Listen, I'm here to tell you, I've criticized Mike White quite a bit. I think Georgia is an NCAA tournament team. They they are three and one now in SEC play. Should have beaten Tennessee on Saturday. They get the victory in South Carolina, and finally, the Arkansas Razorbacks essentially at the buzzer. They do beat Texas A&M. Weird game. Arkansas was up by a million. Then they do this. Then they do that. Then it gets close. Wade Taylor, who was awesome against Kentucky on Saturday afternoon, hits a three to take a one point lead. Arkansas gets the ball back. Tremont Mark hits the essentially a buzzer beater. There was like a minute. There was like a second and a half left in that in that game. They get the win. Arkansas now one in three in SEC play. Why I bring this up? Not doing the thing, but it's at least worth noting. Two seasons ago, the 2021-2022 season, Arkansas started 0-3 in SEC play. They end up figuring it out. They end up going on a run. They end up in the Elite Eight. Certainly not saying that that is what is going to happen this year, but Arkansas started the league year or started the year in the league 0-3. They get the win at the buzzer against Texas A&M. I'll tell you, no rest for the weary. They do get South Carolina at home. Then they do play at Ole Miss next week before uh, a visit to Rupp Arena and Kentucky uh, a little bit from now. All right. I think it's time for me to get out of here. This episode has been long enough, good enough. Hate to brag. Maybe the best show I've ever done, but it is time for me to go. If you enjoyed this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast, please make sure to subscribe. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. If you're listening on podcast, if you're listening on YouTube, 
32,000 subscribers strong. We appreciate your support. Let's get to 33K. Can we do it before the end of the week? I think we can. But now without your support, click that subscribe button. Also, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok. Yeah, that's right. Your boy is, uh, I'm, I'm a real Gen Zer. What can I say? I'm on TikTok. Make sure to subscribe on TikTok. Uh, appreciate your support. I uh, do think it is time for me to get out of here. do think it is time to go. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. You F at Unblock Me, bro. I'll be back on Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pod. Appreciate you guys. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>